What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and if I'm the Pep Guardiola of podcasting, that means he's my Mikel Arteta. It's Lewis. Are we really going to say that I'm I'm the Padawan here and you're the master? I'm kidding. It's all good. I fully accept your tutelage and your mentorship. I am in your hands. Until you jump ship to go and start a rival one. That that just put a really, really dark turn on our whole podcast. But oh. Fuck. Jesus. Um, anyways. We have a nice little host of topics for you today, including VAR is a shambles, and not just in the Premier League, but also in the Bundesliga. Then we will also be having a look at Southampton, what has gone wrong this season, and maybe even the past few seasons. Then we will also have a look at the Premier League title race, which has just been blown wide open by arguably both Man City and Arsenal. We'll get to that in a second. And we will finish off with Bayern Hunter's number one, Union Berlin, the Cinderella story. All that and more right after this. So, like you said, VAR is a shambles, not just in the Premier League. So let's take a look at the Bundesliga. So seven matches last Saturday, four of them affected by VAR. Just what what exactly happened to what? What were the biggest issues there? Well, I think the the two games that mo that stand out the most are Leipzig v Union, and because I mean it was just a joke decision. And the other match was the Baden-Württemberg derby, Stuttgart v Freiburg. Now Stuttgart v Freiburg, I'm taking in here because Bruno Labbadia the Stuttgart manager had some choice words about the VAR. And I think it they are quite nice to get the whole ball rolling. So his exact words in the post-match interview were, I'm completely against VAR. It's destroying football. It takes 10 minutes to make a decision. We might as well just pack up at this point. We might as well just pack up at this point. I don't know. This is a more broad attack on the VAR as a whole would you say that you know var is destroying football in the sense that it's now making it more stop and go it's ruining the flow just from that standpoint it's making it more stop and go because you want to celebrate a goal but was the offside was there a foul was that handball it takes away from the emotion doesn't it it takes away from the flow of it i think it's difficult when you've got people like Labadia making those comments because I'm fairly sure, you know, back before they had VAR, he would have been one of the people going, oh, the referees need help. They need video assistant referees to to help them. So I don't think it's a let's just pack up and go home. It just needs to be looked at really, really urgently. Yeah, that's, I mean, I'd say as well, it's like from a concept standpoint, the referees getting help because you know we had so many decisions where we were also both sitting there thinking wow how like if if you had some kind of help wouldn't you help the the referee in this situation because that is just a dire it's it's a diabolical call to be making um but now you just have this this sort of flawed var trying to do its best 
but it seems that no matter where it turns, it just keeps running into a wall. It keeps making a bad decision. The implementation of VAR is the problem, not the concept itself, in my opinion. Yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. I think look, fo- fo- football fan, it's the it's fan outrage as well, more than anything else. Uh, but football is so fickle and so reactionary. I think you go back before we had VAR, and it was a clear penalty wouldn't be given, or a clear handball wouldn't be given, and it would be, oh well, look, if only we had VAR, if only we had help for the referees when the Bundesliga had it before the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, well, this decision wasn't given at the weekend, but in Germany... It would have been given, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, something similar happened and it was given and everyone went, fantastic, that was the right call, let's move on and let's let's do this. It's similar when was it, Seth Blatter didn't want goal line technology at the 2010 World Cup. Which That's robs, awesome. Which robs yeah. Frank Lampard of a goal against Germany, but I'm <laughs> so over that. It's not even funny. <laughs> I mean, you're clearly not, but we'll move on. Um, no, because that's the thing, right? VAR obviously doesn't have that, or it's not like VAR is missing every call. Like, Bruno Labadia was pissed off more than anything, probably because VAR was the main reason for the game getting turned around because Stuttgart were leading 1-0. Um, two penalties were given, both of them against Dan Axel Zagadou, incidentally. Um, obviously, as a manager, you're going to be pissed off and you're going to be thinking, there's no way in hell. Like, how, how, how do we lose this match? Because twice someone outside of the 22 players plus the three referees there are making a decision for me that statement in and of itself is already contradictory because we long since have accepted now that they are as part of the refereeing squad um but i think it's more down to the fact that it was just you know it's the concept of a decision being made in some room or in some tv bus and the decision is being made outside of the football pitch. I think that's the main talking point and the main reason why people like like Labadia are really, really pissed off about it. And it's it's almost a, a puritanical view on football, if you will, or an old school conservative view on football because, you know, oh, this, this game has to be played by the 22 uh, players on the pitch and the ball. And it doesn't get played outside the confines of that, you know, 80 by 105 meter space. So I think it was very, you're right, it was very reactionary. And no matter what happens, I think there's going to be backlash. But VAR in this instance did actually save the points for Freiburg. Well, better better said, did make sure that Freiburg got the points that they deserved in that match. But I think the bigger thing for me and the biggest one was the Leipzig Union match because we were looking at a clash that was very, very indicative of the title race. Because the the points up there, so it's so close. It's the closest it's been in years. And for a match like that, to be decided by a joke of a call is just, it's absolutely ridiculous. 
okay, so you call it a joke of a call. For those that that haven't seen it, the 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 big talking point, the big decision was that it wasn't an intentional movement towards the ball. But why? You know, you explain why it was a clear movement towards so the ball. Yeah, so basically, it was a it was a movement um, from the Union defender, and he tried. He kind of tries to back heel clear, um, you know, a loose ball, and it ends up falling to Timo Werner, I believe it is. Um, who, if you look at it, he was coming from an offside position. For me, already, I think you know the the whole concept of uh, come of a player coming back from an offside position to receive the ball in an onside position is already a it's a difficult difficult call to be making. But you know, I I fully understand and you know agree with the way that's been handled because obviously, if you if you leave that up, it's so that up to chance. It's so subjective that a referee wouldn't be able to make an offside call half the time. Um, but getting back to the point. Timo Werner receives the ball, and then basically the play resumes from there. Everything else is all by the rule book. Basically, Paulson scores the 2-2 equalizer, which would have been extremely, extremely important for Leipzig and continuing their charge towards the title and, you know, hunting Bayern. Obviously, benefited now Union, who are clearly Bayern hunter number one. As I've said, we'll, we'll get to that. In this episode but you know you have this whole view of the intentionality if you want to call it that of the movement towards the ball and i'm sorry but if you're going to you know it it just is a stupid clearance as a defender go for it with the head or you know make some some movement that's more than like a half-assed attempt at a clearance. It was just a poor attempt at a clearance, and Union should have been, or they they should have they should have paid for the mistake basically by conceding, and for VAR to then go in there and for me that is the biggest thing because it is just they try and make it out as if it was almost like a subjective call, you know, to understand the the backlash towards it. It just isn't a subjective call. It's plain as day. The defender goes for the ball. If the defender goes for the ball and he tries to clear it, that negates any offside position that Timo Vanna is going to be in. Case closed. It should have been 2-2. See, if only they had listened, you know, to you. We'll get you down there. We'll get you talking. I, I think... was about to say they should just. They should just. I mean, I think if I read it correctly, I think Jurgen Klopp even said that they should get like laymen, you know, just people, football fans off the street and put them in the VAR uh, box with referees to basically get a more subjective view on it. I, I don't know. I don't know how much good that would really. I don't do because... think that would. I don't <laughs> think that would work. I think nah. maybe ex pros. X pro exactly. This is where we've already said this. I feel like we have. Know, yeah, this, this is beating an old drum. It really is because I mean, X pros also would just have a different view on it. And there are so many referees. I I, I don't think a, I can't remember if there's a referee who used to play football as well. I don't think there has been. Um. So it obviously, you know, or play football at professional level. I mean, so I think that viewpoint from an X pro would just be so so good, but you know what are you going to do hello sorry to interrupt the podcast for just a minute we have just recorded 
the VAR section of this. And hours later in the Bayern against Gladbach game, there was a decision made with the help of VAR that is arguably worse than some of the ones we've just spoken about. So I'll let Lewis explain what exactly happened between two Frenchmen in this game. Let's set the scene. It's Bayern versus Gladbach. We are seven minutes in. Long ball from Gladbach after Bayern pressing action leaves Upamecano in a foot race with Alessandro Plea. Alessandro Plea not the slowest of forwards, but put it this way, Upamecano is no slouch when it comes to the sprint. Anyways, ball's bouncing, Plea's running, Plea's running, Plea's running. And Plea does a smart thing of crossing Upamecano. Because, you know, in the event of a crossing, usually the guy behind will accidentally then trip up the man in front because, you know, he just runs into the heels. Smart from Alessandro Plea. Here's the thing, though. Upamecano puts his hand on Alessandro Plea's shoulder, does not pull, takes his hand away, puts on the brakes. Alessandro Plea falls over. Referee blows his whistle, red card for dialed Upamecano. Few issues with this. Billy, you had another in-depth look at it. Give us your, I don't know, condensed take. Just the just the headline. Well, uh, my exact words to you were soft as shit. Because I, I, I looked at it, I tried to find any reason. Thank to, you. To play devil's advocate. Any reason. You know, oh, oh it's it's a... Uh, He's, he's put his hand on him, but it is literally a feather touch. It's a, a a tap and a remove. Both hands go up and the brakes go on and player takes a couple more steps and then goes down. Like Lewis has said, had he clipped the ankles? No, no question. It, I would have had no problem with that because he's Upamecano's la last man, obviously, to red. But you even see on the replay that Upamecano doesn't make a big stride he puts you know you, you know when you when you're in a full sprint and then you put on the brakes you don't take a full stride forward you see exactly where you know he digs his heels into the ground and tries to you know get away and there's no contact you can look at it from a hundred different angles we saw the replays in a hundred different angles there was no contact down below so the referee i mean it's not even a foul just putting that out there the referee makes that call it's a red card and we're talking about a red card in the eighth minute in a game between two bundesliga heavyweights that's going to take an effect on the match and a red card is no small thing so why hasn't the var gone and said hmm wouldn't you want to have a look at that maybe and the best part is tobias fence doesn't even have a look at it See, that's my biggest issue with it. It's the thing that we've said normally about the Premier League, where it's the game is being refereed by the guy at VAR. Yeah. Normally, I use that word, you know, loosely normally, the Bundesliga is a lot better with, okay, ref, we've seen this. Maybe maybe you should go and have a look because if you real time from where the referee is, who to be fair to him is a fair few paces behind, 
you be forgiven for thinking it's a clip of the ankles and he's gone down? Yeah, I mean, Julian Nagelsmann said in his post-match interview, you know, people make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. And the best part is, Plea, the reason he falls is because Plea is looking for the contact. You know, he did cross Upamecano with that, you know, intention in the back of his head. He was looking for the contact, didn't get it. And his, basically, his reaction was, I'm going to get the contact. And when he didn't, he was like, oh, wait. I was, you know, I had my body balanced for contact and now I'm not getting any contact. So that's why I'm falling down. That's the reason he falls down. He, he falls down because he doesn't get the contact he's looking for. But then in that situation, it is the VAR's job to say, okay, exactly. Ray, I, we, we get what you've seen from your angle. Come over and have a look at it from the front where you can clearly see there's no contact with the ankle. There's no contact with the legs. It's that tap on the shoulder. We, and the, we, yeah, the way he's gone down, this is going to sound really weird if you don't know what I'm on about, but have you ever tried to run too fast, like as a kid? Oh, of course. You fall, you start, you know, windmilling and you're like, you know, slumped over forward almost. Yeah, you lose your, you, you're, you start yeah. to run away from your own legs. Exactly. That's what looks like it, yeah. what happened in that replay. Completely different to if, if you've had your legs taken out with almost like a tap tackle where they've hit yeah. into each other because that's an instant on going down. Not I'll take a few stumbles and then go, but I cannot fathom why VAR did not. Well, that's the best you know, part because it took a fair bit. Like you saw that he was in contact with VAR, and he basically and, and you know he's even gone and said now in the uh sport one doppelpass in the uh in in the in the tv talk show he even said i saw no reason to have a look at it again for me it was clear cut first of all you didn't say that on a saturday i wonder why because that was one of the things that nagelsmann blew up in the interview afterwards obviously um and he was like, it wouldn't have been a problem if he had made the mistake and then said it afterwards, you know what, I made a mistake. You know, obviously it would have been crap because, um, yeah, you can't do anything about it afterwards. But he was like, yeah, at least he would have owned the mistake. But now, it, you know, he it influences the game completely. It tips the game plan on its on its head. And, you know, when I, when we say VAR is clapped, we don't say VAR is a problem. The implementation of VAR is the problem. And in this instance, we should be going, VAR shouldn't be, you know, you should have a look at that. VAR should be, have a look at that. It should be a clear cut. The VAR tells the referee, go have a look at this decision. So there's no, you know, maybe he has a look at it, maybe he doesn't. Because you can have... Even if he has a look at it and then he sticks by its decision, fine. But if VAR is like, mm, maybe have a look at that, the referee, and then the referee has all, he says, you know, eh, you know what, I'm not going to. What's the point? Exactly. You might as well if, not have it there. If the referee is told to look at the monitor and then goes, I think the pull on the shoulder is enough. Yeah. Then, okay, fair enough. We hold our hands up. That's not a VAR mistake. That's a referee's opinion. Yeah. That's a different argument for a different day. It's the fact that it didn't get involved or it was the fact that it was... Overruled, basically. But that's, a, an, again, another topic for another day. Yeah. 
I, I don't know. Just before we leave you, uh, just a little sprinkling before we uh, let you get back to the scheduled programming. Bayern can take Jan Sommer away from Gladbach, but they still can't beat them. Yeah, I was about to say, if you can't beat them, take their best player and still lose. <laughs> Christ. Well, oh. I'll let Lewis fall into an endless pit of despair and please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, they've been some controversial moments in the Bundesliga, but uh, I think the controversy was even worse, dare I say, in the Premier League, Lewis. It really was. So, Bill, why don't you just take our listeners through a little run down memory lane and explain what exactly happened in that match, Arsenal v Brentford? Allow me to set the scene, if you will. Oh, beautiful. Paint me a picture. Pictures worth a thousand words. So 1-0 to Arsenal. Courtesy of, I believe, Leandro Trossard. Yes. It was, I think it was, that was probably one of the first, you know, it was, his, like, it was like his first touch or second touch or something stupid like that. Yeah, just came on. And uh, Brentford have a free kick and it's, it's whipped in. And it's headed back across goal a couple of times but the the important one is it's headed back across goal by uh christian norgard ivan mm. tony puts the ball in the back of the net celebrates goes wild and then var you know decide to have a look and they opted first to look at a possible foul on gabriel by ethan pinnock didn't think that was a foul on gabriel but it's not uncommon to see them then look at something else yeah. Which I think is another problem that we can talk about where they're just looking for things to, to give. I was I was about to ask because that, that in Germany isn't the case. You have if you have one action being invest investigated and then that's it. Yeah, we've seen it in the Premier League where they'll they'll look for a, a potential offside. There's no offside, so they'll go, hmm, let's spool that back a little bit further in the build up. Was that foul? But that's that's a, a an argument for another day. I was about to say. <laughs> Lee Mason on VAR failed to spot that Christian Norgard was offside when he headed the ball back to Ivan Tony. Yeah. Then it came out after the game that he hadn't even bothered to draw the lines, which is essentially his job because he was a referee, Lee Mason, <laughs> albeit Sorry. not a very good one. You know, referees even a mother would struggle to love them but <laughs> those who can't play oh jesus ref and those who can't ref run the line anyway oof so lee mason is a was a designated var official okay failed to spot what looks like on in a replay a fairly obvious offside and this has actually drawn some uh, consequences as well it has, uh, as we've seen has, so far just yesterday, I think it was yesterday before yesterday, the PGMOL released a statement that said Lee Mason had left the VAR, you know, pool of referees, if you will, by quote unquote mutual consent, which I think we all know is just, you know, saving face to the public while in reality he was probably fired, which I'm sorry, but. You can't just sit there in the VAR booth and go, mm, yeah, I'm not feeling drawing these calibrated lines today because that is a pain in the ass. So 
I'll just leave it. If it's offside, it's offside. If it's not, it's not. Big deal. Well, Rightfully fired. You... But how do you? How does that? How? How do you just miss? It's not just. It's not just. You know, with with the Paulson thing, where you're like, oh, there might be might be some subjective um, arguments being made, or there's a little bit of room for debate. There's no room for debate on this. There is. There wasn't even a calibrated line being drawn, which would have shown a clear offside position. That is just basically what we call in Germany Arbeitsverweigerung, or refusal to do your job. Ah, oh, can, can we please? I want a t-shirt with that on it. But no, that that is completely, <laughs> it's completely true. It's we'll just get true. we'll just we'll just get our logo on the t-shirt and ha have a hashtag Arbeitsverweigerung. <laughs> get it trending. Get it trending. <laughs> But Along with our slut for stats merchandise. To, to give you an idea as to how bad this was, a former referee called for him to be sacked almost uh, a couple of days after Keith Hackett. Christ. Called for him to be sacked. It's like this oh. weekend, Mason lets another referee down by not disallowing the Brentford goal for offside. These are decisions that VAR should get right. And well, we I talk... mean, he's not wrong, is he? <laughs> he's not wrong. He's completely right. And, you know, justice in some sense has been done because Lee Mason will not be on VAR anymore. We'll talk about the say, consequences yeah. that could have in a second, but there were, there were others. So the early kickoff <laughs> Chelsea against or West Ham against Chelsea. Beautifully poised at one. -all. Beautifully poised. Shot comes in. Thomas Socek falls and, oh, blocks, and blocks it with his hand. Now, Oh my god! I was about imagine, to say that was probably the most clear one of the day. Right? Imagine the word "fools" in in quotation marks because yeah, everyone had a field day with this. Chelsea, sorry, but it's a, Chelsea's it's a clear attempt to 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 block it. Sorry that I'm. No, that's that's yeah. that's fine. It's, it's, it's a <laughs> seeing them not given because players are falling over, and obviously, if you fall over, the natural reaction is to put your. Yeah, so break your arm fall. out to break yeah. your fall. Some arguments to whether that was what his actual intentions were. I'm sorry, no, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, no. I watched. I only watched the highlights, and it was plain as day to me on my phone. It didn't even have to be on a TV. I just saw it on my phone, tiny ass screen. If I can see it on my tiny ass screen first time around, then some referee in VAR should be getting it. Well, Chelsea's Twitter admin had a bit of fun. Uh, Christ. I think it was like 80-something minutes. Uh, good save by Thomas Socek. I mean, at that point, you might as well. And he was asked about it after the game, uh, just by, like, club media. And he yeah. was like, yeah, you know, my dad was a goalkeeper, so I've got good reflexes. Fuck me. That's just like going back to the scene of the crime. I'm sorry. <laughs> And and you might he might as well have just put in big neon letters, just just like by the way, I did this. You missed the call. It should have been a penalty. Why would you, why would you give an interview like that? At least be you know a little bit remorseful and say like yeah you know what probably they should have had a penalty in that instance. Um, if we're being honest, but no, he had to go and rub it in. Oof. Well, the uh, the other one which I think was probably 
I don't know whether it's just as bad. It's I, it's worse than the handball one, I think, in my opinion. Really? For me, that's the one that should have been called clear as day, even more clearly than the um than the than the offside in the Arsenal v Brentford match. Well, so what happened in the Brighton Palace game was uh Pervis Estepinian scored. Yeah. They then took the line from the wrong player, Dennis Undav, who, you know, oh. to their credit, Dennis Undav was in an offside position. Christ. Yeah, but and, he's not to just get the right player. Oh. And Palace, as a result, uh, sorry, uh, Brighton, as a result, draw that game one all. They've had a, an apology from the PGMOL. That's not going to do you much good if you're looking at the damn table. You know, like, as, I'm sorry. As confirmed to the club by PGMOL last night, PGMOL last night, a serious error was made in disallowing Pervis Esther Pinyan's goal at Palace yesterday. The lines drawn in the VAR room to determine whether Pervis, Pervis was in an offside for. The lines drawn. They're fucking pair, 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 Pervis Esther Pinyan. The lines drawn in the VAR room to determine whether Pervis was in an offside position were drawn incorrectly and the goal should have stood. So it's been a fantastic week for. I mean, they are in the Premier League. Here's the thing, right? Every time I think the Bundesliga VAR has had an absolute shocker, the Premier League VAR goes, I think we can top that. Let's go. Draw the wrong guy on the for the offside line. Don't draw the offside line at all. Miss an absolute handball. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm I can't believe it. Like, I'm getting annoyed about. VAR calls where it's like a subjective clearance by the or intentional clearance by the defender and in the prem there are just lines not being drawn like Jesus Christ well there could have been another issue had City not beaten Arsenal which we'll talk about in a sec but uh, Erling Haaland was deemed to have been offside up against Gabriel but the way that they the way the software works the way the the images work i don't know what frame rate they are but say they're 25 frame rates per second right as it normally is yeah and you spool through to the the incident it'll yeah. look one way say if you put that in 50 frames per second which is what the nfl do you spool to the same incident it'll look completely different then why don't you just do it to the absolute highest frame rate you don't have to have like by all means don't put you know a 50 frame rate in like in normal tv broadcasting but put the 50 frame rate to get the call right i mean i'm sorry but that they managed to get the calls in the psg Bayern match in the champions league that offside was offside but it wasn't it was literally half of mendes's foot was in an offside position at the time of the ball being played so it was very fine margins, but they seem to get it right some of the time, and obviously when it counts. So how do you like? I I don't want to go hating on the on the Premier League in this sense, but the Premier League's VAR is by comparison a whole lot worse than any of the other top competitions that we see in Europe, whether it be European or national ones. I'm not going to argue with that. I've already said this. Uh, best league in the world, worst officials. 
The only thing I will yeah. say is that UEFA in the Champions League and that have semi-automated offside, which we used at the World Cup. So whether we'll see that in domestic leagues, I don't know. But that's sorry. Just just to one one last point is we see some tech being used in some competitions and not in others. Makes zero sense. If you've got the highest possible tech available, implement it in every competition. Don't be like, ah, oh, do you know what? Europa League, you're not getting VAR until the quarterfinals. But Champions League, you got VAR in the group stages. That's no biggie. Same thing we hear. Semi-automated offside. Implement it in the National Leagues. The tech's there. Well, let us know what your thoughts on VAR are. Should it be scrapped? Should we persist? Or, like we've said countless times, do they need some sort of urgent crisis meeting? I still think it should be like TMO in rugby. But that's my personal opinion. Let us know yours. But I think it's now time to move over from VAR to look more specifically at the Premier League. That's right, Bill, because we just watched Arsenal blow an eight-point lead. Just let that go through your head. Everyone, everyone was like, oh, this might actually be the year Arsenal do it. Wow. Unbelievable stuff. They're playing so well. They've got an eight-point lead over City. They had a, They have a game in hand. I mean, they still do, but they have a game in hand. It could potentially be 11 points. The league's done. And I think I remember myself even saying, you know, ah, okay, I mean, doesn't seem that Arsenal's going to let up. So might as well say that this this league is already pretty much done, which was, if anything, stupid that the thought even entered my mind because this is football. One, I'm no expert, as obviously you can tell. And two, anything can happen. Well, just that has unfolded before our very eyes because Arsenal managed to lose 1-0 to Everton, the draw against Brentford, unlucky, and arguably with the way Brentford are playing, it's not the end of the world to draw against them. And then they come up basically in the deciding clash between Arsenal and City, and City hand it to Arsenal. It was clear as day that Arsenal just weren't in the game. I, they played some okay stuff, but I think if 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 you're giving goals away like Tommy Ashley did to Kevin De Bruyne, you know the the Jack Grealish one, it was just too easy. It was too open. It was ridiculous. When it comes down to it, you have to be there, and that is the match basically where. Everything was online. It was already a small little final, if you want to, if you want to look at it that way. And Arsenal just didn't seem up to the task. You know, Erling Haaland has now already eclipsed or has drawn level with the most goals that Sergio Aguero has ever scored in a single season for City at 26, which is just unreal. City are now even first on goal difference. But Arsenal have a game in hand. The title race, which seemed non-existent not three weeks ago, 
has now just been blown wide open. Can I pose a question to you, my German friend? Of course you can. Is this somewhat similar to the RB Leipzig problem where, because they've never actually won one, or they haven't won one in Arsenal's case, haven't won one in so long, this group of players, with the exception of a couple who have won things at Manchester City, like Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus and things like that. Yeah. Not a mentality problem, but because obviously they're playing fantastically well and Mikel Arteta's done one insane job. A miracle with that Arsenal side compared to where they were a couple of years over. ago. Yeah. But is there almost like a block where they, they lack that ruthlessness? You know, because City were, you know, oh, if we win this, we we go level on points. Granted, they've played a game more, but we, we'd go level on points. And it was that ruthlessness to go any chance they were given, they took. It might still be one of those things where, you know, we've said it before, Arsenal still are a very young side. You still have a lot of players who need to... And I, I'd, I'd say yes to your question. The mentality is just one that is different. And that just comes with experience. And that's the one thing that this Arsenal side probably lacks is the experience. I mean, yeah, they've gone and brought in players like Sinchenko, like Gabriel Jesus, who know what it means and what it takes to win the Premier League. But when we look at the roles that Gabriel Jesus and more, you know, more importantly, Sinchenko played in that city side, they weren't as big. So the responsibility was still placed on other people's shoulders. I'm not, I'm not saying Gabriel Jesus didn't do anything at City or Sinchenko didn't do anything at City, but you know, arguably, the responsibility at City was definitely on other people's shoulders, i.e. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, Ederson, um, company when he was still playing, players like that. So this is the first time that, you know, Sinchenko and Gabriel Jesus are going to be put in the position that they're the leaders. You know, Sinchenko himself said, everyone laughed when he came in at Arsenal and said, yeah, you know what, we're going we're gonna to be first. We're going to win this thing. Everyone, everyone laughed, and now people weren't laughing. Full credit to him to, you know, go out and, you know, put himself out there like that. But it's still the first time he's in that position. And then you've got players like Bukayo Saka, who's, you know, at the very beginning of his career. Unbelievable player. Um, but I think a lot of players in that squad still need to take one more step to really reach that champion's mentality where you just are ruthless in the moments where it counts. And that's where City, obviously, that's been ingrained into that club now in the last probably six years, if not more. And every player who comes through there also has had that ingrained. You know, Erling Haaland has basically had that time at Dortmund to kind of grow into the into this mentality and now he's finally at city he has the players around him and he has the you know the coach and the um just the atmosphere around the club to basically have that ruthlessness he's now made that final step um but yeah like you said it's you know like the fact where Leipzig or Dortmund had chances in the previous four years to win the Bundesliga and slipped up when Bayern slipped up and didn't capitalize on you know the 
the leads that they had. So I think, yeah, Arsenal, they might just need one more year to fully get that mentality in there. But I'd still peg Arsenal. If they don't win it this year, they win it in the next two years. Bold shout. I know, I know. It doesn't sound as outlandish as it would if you said it at the start of last season. But oh, yeah. hell no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they were eight points ahead, could potentially have been 11. Uh, and now they're level. And they're one game in hand, coincidentally, a... on the 1st of March, yeah. is uh, Everton, who have already beaten them. So, well, I mean, let's, let's see if Everton can actually repeat that performance. But yeah, what could have been 11 points... That that's basically the only bittersweet message that that basically is is left over for Arsenal is the fact that they still do have a game in hand and could still go three points clear, but that that just goes to show that if City, every time City win, they have to win. I mean, yeah, it sounds very obvious, but it basically it puts pressure now on Arsenal. Well. There's pressure on Arsenal. Let us know if you think they will win the league. But uh, can we leave Mikel Arteta, who's doing a competent job, and talk about someone who should never have really been in a position to do an incompetent job in the first place? Can we talk, please, about Nathan Jones? I was about to say, you, you're you're dying to get there. So before we talk specifically Nathan Jones and how he was bound to fail at Southampton... Just take us through a bit. How are Southampton now in the position they are at? Because arguably, four or five years ago, they were minimum mid-table, if not almost in the fight for European places. Uh, well, it's a combination of poor transfer decisions and the, similar to the to the Dortmund problem. Every time they get a player who's half decent. They, they come and get swiped away. You know, you look at, you know, Romeo Lavia had been there five minutes and there was already talk of Chelsea buying them off of Southampton in the same window he joined. Jesus. Obviously, uh, they had Hassan Hutel at the start of the season. He said he was going to retire at the end of the season anyway. And it just wasn't working. Something wasn't right. They pulled the trigger and got rid of him. Only to bring in Nathan Jones, who, give him his credit, before I tear him a new one. At Luton, was great. Championship manager of the season, last season, was was great for Luton. But after his first stint at Luton, went to Stoke. Failed miserably. <laughs> then went back to Luton and did very, very well. He may just be one of those managers who is perfect for the championship, but not for the Premier League. Just, just like, you know, Simon Terodde is that second Bundesliga striker, holds the record for the most goals in the second Bundesliga, but in the Bundesliga never could cut it. Exactly. So a total of eight matches in charge in the Premier League. Uh, discounting the... FA Cup and the Carabao Cup games because he did get that win over Man City. I was about to say the FA Cup. We, I remember very clearly how we were like, yeah, this run of games that Southampton has, 
it's going to be a hard one. You know, you've got FA Cup, a draw against City. They'll probably lose that. And we have egg on our faces. Well, I'm I'm still not taking any flat for that because he has subsequently got the sack. Well, yeah, so, but he's still got the win when we said it was a clear loss. Yeah, well, Carabao Cup doesn't count, does it? And it only counts if United win it this season. <laughs> 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 so, in charge for a total of eight matches. Okay. Uh, that's still twice as many as Frank De Boer in charge of Crystal Palace in 2017. He was in charge for four matches, a total of 77 days. Wait. Uh, he was just in charge. Barely of... longer than Kim Kardashian's first marriage. Very good. Very good. Don't, Don't mind that at all. <laughs> <laughs> he was in charge for 95 days which is a bit of an inflated stat because there was a a, a little thing called a world cup in between that i was about to say in but reality it was more like 50 <laughs> uh it, nothing will ever beat leroy Rossini's uh tenure in charge of Torquay united of 600 seconds wait <laughs> uh, because he was appointed Torquay then got bought by someone else and the new owner sacked him so is that you fast <laughs> but it's it's not the the time or the length of his tenure that I want to focus on. It's some of the comments, a sort of low lights reel, if you will. Oh, oh! It... So his first game on November the twelfth, uh, they lost three one to Liverpool. Okay, it's not which the is, worst. Which is respectable. Which is just, oh, it's not respectable, but it's not. I was uh, say the way Liverpool are playing this season. It's not a crisis. <laughs> Yeah. to lose three on to Liverpool. But his comment after his very first game, it would have been easy for me not to take the game today because I've come in with one day to work with them. But that's not my character. That's not my style. I wanted to get in amongst it regardless of the opposition. Which sounds like quite a, you know, a bullish, a very... Very very American almost like, yeah, we're here to fight. <laughs> like, a very Jesse Marsh-esque. Comment. Yes, that that's the one. Uh, that's from the, one. from the Welshman. We're gonna we're gonna come on come in with heart, with fight, with passion, and, and we're gonna win this thing. So he, he said that he wanted to take the game against Liverpool. Yeah. Jump forward to January the twelfth. Uh just over two months into the job. Take the Liverpool game out of it because I had one day. I'm at 50% win ratio at the minute. I've lost oh, three. Oh no! <laughs> I've lost three Premier League games. I've won all the cup games. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Okay, if you if you, if you get relegated, <laughs> Nathan, that's like saying, "Oh, well, you can't relegate us." If you take away the games we lost, we won every game this season. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's just um, that's so shambolic, honestly. Oh, I think then the pressure started to really get to our friends Nathan. Um, because he, he went he went full David Brent with this next one, and I'm tempted to do the accent, but oh, please do, please do, just, uh, just, okay. just for shits and giggles. Okay, uh, okay, yeah, okay. <clears throat> Get, get, I, need I need to get. I need, I need to. I need, I need complete to... silence while I follow the character. Silence in the room, please. Silence in the room. I need. I need complete silence while I follow the character. I need complete silence. Complete silence. I need to. I need to listen to some Welsh. Sheep shaggers. Sheep shag. Yeah, preferably not your Welsh. <laughs> I can't do it Welsh. I could probably do a Geordie accent better than I can do a Welsh one. 
Okay, I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Okay. Uh, so this this quote went for David Brent, and I'll do the accent for for effect. Uh, uh, I could have stayed in a mining community and been a PE teacher and had a nice life, married a nice Welsh girl. Beautiful. But I didn't. I want to test myself on every level. And there's nothing against the Welsh women. It's like, oh, Nathan, <laughs> what's that got to do with anything? Oh, my God. The Welsh accent is something I will never be able to master. Never. I love it. Uh, uh, it's, it, oh. was, it was after this, though, that things, you know. <laughs> could have married a nice Welsh girl. Could have married a nice Welsh girl. <laughs> it was after this, I think, he just started to lose. You just saw the unraveling of of a manager before your eyes in the span of like 30 seconds. Well, because almost from day one, uh, Saints fans wanted him out. Okay. Yeah, okay. But who who came up with the brilliant plan of getting Nathan Jones, a championship-level manager, in to save a Premier League club? It's. Uh, it wasn't like he was the only option. You could have looked abroad. No, that's true. But Southampton, the way they do it, similar in concept to Brighton and Brentford, they look at data. And Nathan Jones exceeded, had very high levels in the areas that they were lacking under Ralph Hasenhutl. All well and good, Which but is... football, you can't do on data. You can, like, that's the thing, right? That I, I feel like that's why also football has never really taken in the u.s is because the game you can get stats and data but stats and data don't mean jack if one week you're playing well and the next week you're playing badly like it's in football i feel like there is so much less to do with stats than there is in any american sport whether it be american football baseball basketball like you know we saw the movie moneyball like if you're if you can basically statistically map out how you're going to get points you can't statistically map out how you're going to get goals there's just so much more subjectiveness in football so that's why i think the whole deal with you know looking at data it's all well and good but it's only going to help you so much and i would have said maybe in the championship if a championship team is looking you know if darby are looking for a new manager then you can look at the data of another championship level manager but if you're looking at the data from a championship manager that's only going to work you know once in a blue moon well I'll tell you what data won't have helped him with uh, when he decided to uh, build some bridges with the Saints fans Christ. With, this, with this next one. I've compromised certain principles because of one, personnel, but two, the way people want to play because of the fans and so on. I've compromised, but no more because I've been very successful. Oh, my guy, you can't be talking about how successful you've been if it's in the championship. You've done fuck all in the Premier League. You've got, you've just pissed it. You basically just pissed it all away with Stoke and that's it. Uh, well, uh, our oh. story comes to an end, Lewis. And uh, yes. I've enjoyed this little trip down. Memory lane. The ramblings of a madman. <laughs> His final game in charge. Uh, he could only feel sorry for himself after losing to 10-man walls after being 1-0 up. Christ. It's just kind of symbolic of his time at Southampton that that is his final game in charge. A loss after being up 1-0 against one man less. 
so he did say after the game, uh, to me, the 10 men was to our detriment because it made it feel like a free hit for them in terms of stuff. Wow. Uh, it, it, it added more pressure on us and it shouldn't have been like that. So you were one nil up <laughs> against a team <laughs> Christ. who then had a man sent off and then lost 2-1. I think we can quite comfortably put him on the shelf uh, with Steve Keane at Blackburn Rovers, John Carver at Newcastle, and I know you like him, but Fulham fans don't, Felix Magat. Well, I think uh, on that note, do tell us what you think of Nathan Jones. Is he still a manager who you would want in the championship for those few championship fans who do listen to us? And we go from one struggling team in the Premier League to one team that is on a high in the Bundesliga. I said it. A team on the high, Bill, it's your team. I can't believe you haven't bought, you know, one of the newer kits. It's beyond me how you haven't spent every penny you earned in that fan shop. But Union Berlin, Bayern Hunter number one, do you think there's actually a chance that the title could go to Union? All I'm going to say is one word. And that one word is Leicester. Are we going that far? Ooh. I don't want to get it's carried bold, away. Because... It's a bold shout. I'm not going to lie, but not it's bad. A, okay. It's a very bold shout. But I, the way they play, the way they keep playing, second defense, uh, second highest defensive record in the league, second only to, obviously, Bayern. Yeah. Okay, they they the sixth best attack in the league. Defense wins you championships. Attack wins you games, defense wins you titles. You know, they're they're above Dortmund, Frankfurt, Leipzig, and Wolfsburg. It's only Bayern who have scored more goals that are above them. Yeah. You know, that would suggest to me that Dortmund, Frankfurt, Leipzig, and Wolfsburg can score, but, not but they can't defend. Or they can score, but not when it counts. Exactly. And obviously, look, there's hiccups. I was about to say, take that 5-0 beatdown from Bayer Leverkusen, match day 13. I think at that point, everyone was like, okay, look, it's been fun. But the Cinderella story has to come to an end at some point. Exactly. You know, a 4-1 loss to Freiburg, for instance. Like, who saw that coming? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I was about to say, like, the 2-2 two, two draw in between those two matches, eh, it can happen. But, yeah, I think a lot of people expected Union to taper off, basically. But, you know, they've kept on going, which, uh, you know, more credit to them. And they don't just win against the small teams. Well, didn't they draw one all with Bayern this season as well? Yeah, but... The, you know, people were like, you know, they didn't do too badly against Bayern in the seasons previously. But, you know, discounting the VAR business, they they won 2-1 against Leipzig, who were probably their biggest rival in terms of hunting down the number one spot. At the time. I know you're a Bayern fan. 
But I think everyone would like to see them do it. Even if you asked Bayern fans, they would go, look, if they were to win it, how incredible How incredible would that be for a team that... It would be an unbelievable... It would be more than a Cinderella story. It really would. Because you have to look at the fact that 2019, they were just barely promoted. They, they had to go through the means of the uh, relegation playoff. And... Ten years before that, they were promoted to the second Bundesliga for the first time in their history. You know, we're looking at a club who, from 1966 to 2009, never made it higher than the third tier in German football. You know, they they scraped bankruptcy just barely, and the fans then went and donated blood to save the club from financial ruin. The fans helped build that. That is just a community club, a really, like, the definition of a community club and now they are on the very best way to maybe even creating one of the biggest upsets in Bundesliga history it's ridiculous and the community connection is unmatched and that's saying a lot considering how community-based German teams are yeah I was about to say they're they're even you know for German standards extremely community-based and you know it is just an ingrained part of the berlin fabric and you know like we've said so often there's one club who would have liked to be where union berlin are and that's their counterpart hertha yeah but it's night and day it's how to run a football club how to not run a football club or how to run a football club into the ground more like well, exactly. <laughs> but you talk about all the money that uh, Hertha had wasted on transfers, and then you look contrary to that, to what yeah. Union have done with relatively little money. You know, the likes of Geraldo Becker, they brought in Josip Juranovic from Celtic, who is fantastic. And exactly. He's been linked with the Premier League at one point. Uh, Danilo Duki. It's, oh, it's just fantastic. And I love uh, Jordan, the American yeah. striker. Him and Becker up front. Oh, so good. And the fact that you haven't bought both of them on kickbase, you know. <laughs> I had them before. I had, I've got Sherado Becker. Uh, I had both of them before we restarted because I was so far behind. Now it's actually pretty, a pretty close race if, uh, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Where, where are we at? I don't I know. Uh, it, it, uh, it's okay, okay. It, it was it was close. I'm now 400 on points behind you. Um, what? This is where this is just where you just start to pull away, away, and away, and away. Why? I've I actually I sold uh, Marcus Turan uh, just for this for this match day because I brought in Maximilian Arnold for the same amount of money. Max Arnold, goodness yep. me. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to end it before we bore people with our kick base league. <laughs> Well, as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to AT Sports News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Podcasts on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Podcasts. That is a mouthful. We're going to have to abbreviate that at some point. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.